This podcast is funded by Ted Dintersmith, the executive producer of the acclaimed film Most Likely to Succeed, and the author of the best-selling book What School Could Be. Hey everyone, this is the What School Could Be podcast. I'm your host, Josh Rapoon. This is another remastered conversation that comes from the Game Changer and Big Think speaker series in the What School Could Be global online community. To learn more, go to whatschoolcouldbe.org or install the What School Could Be app on your mobile device. Keep in mind, the audio comes from Zoom and YouTube Live webinars so expect a couple bumps and knocks along the way. On the other hand, the conversations you will hear are incredible for their depth and insight into what school could be and what could be school. This 2021 Game Changer conversation is with X in a Box CEO and former Pixar executive Elise Claydman and educator Jorge Flores and student Mateo Alton. They focus on the Remarkable Experiential Program, a nine-week course that takes participants behind the scenes at Pixar and helps students become remarkable storytellers. Their 2021 pilot cohort had 350 participants across the U.S. and Canada with a whopping 92% completion rate. Story Experiential was created by Elise Claydman, Tony DeRose, and Britt Cruz who previously developed Pixar in a box. All three have extensive experience in film and education. Claydman and DeRose each spent more than 20 years at Pixar, and Cruz developed beloved content at Khan Academy. Elise Claydman noted, quote, for a long time, we've known that education has fallen short in preparing people for the jobs of today and tomorrow. With college tuition and loans becoming more unattainable for many families, students are turning to alternative programs to launch their careers. That means demand for high-quality, affordable, project-based virtual apprenticeships is at an all-time high. In the time that Story Experiential has been available, we've seen doors open for participants who have completed our course and developed a portfolio piece. And while the program has obvious advantages for students, Companies will be the ultimate beneficiaries of exceptional, well-prepared talent, end quote. This Game Changer conversation was hosted by Ted Dintersmith and, adding great perspective to the conversation, Carrie Putnam, who was the transformational leader of the Sundance Institute for 11 years. And now, here is Ted Dintersmith and Carrie Putnam's Game Changer conversation with Elise Claydman, Jorge Flores, and Matteo Aldon. Hello, everyone. I am Ted Dintersmith, but mostly I am so excited about tonight and the game changer conversation we're going to have. And we're going to be talking about an amazing initiative about storytelling that. A friend of mine told me about six months ago, said, you're going to be blown away. I've been tracking their progress. I am more than blown away. 
But first, I want to introduce my co-host. When the topic came up of storytelling, I reached out to longtime friend and the amazing Carrie Putnam. Because if there's anybody in the universe that knows a lot about storytelling, it's Carrie Putnam. And so, Carrie, you may want to just say a quick bit about your background, and then we'll we'll uh, transition to Elise and her team and let them tell us all about this initiative. I can't wait to get to that. Um, and thank you, Ted. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. And honestly, when you when you call, I answer because I'm so inspired by by what you do as well. So, uh, yeah, as Ted said, my name's Carrie Putnam, and I was I recently stepped down as the head of Sundance Institute and Sundance Film Festival. Uh, where I was for 11 years. And before that, I was an executive in charge of developing and producing movies at both HBO and Miramax for many years before that. And I just wanted to add one more thing, which is part of what inspires me a lot about what we're going to talk about today, is I've also been a longtime advocate for diversifying the field of media. Um, and I know that's, that's you know, maybe not the core of the conversation today, but but certainly a piece of it. I'm really excited to be here. So I'm going to turn it back to you and thank you for having me. Great. And for our audience, if you have observations, we always have a very active chat flow. Post them there and also ask us any questions. So, Elise, you know, when when my friend Andrew Mangino told me about you, he was very enthusiastic. I just have been so amazed at what you've accomplished. So maybe we could start if you could talk a little bit about your background, kind of introduce the audience to you. But what led you to create Story Experiential? Or thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've been enjoying getting to know you so much, Ted. Um, so just a tiny bit about my background. I, um, my, I, I studied art and uh, education, and I worked for many years as an artist and a teacher, kind of taught at every level from preschool through adult. Um, and by some funny set of circumstances ended up at Pixar Animation Studios um, about 25 years ago when Pixar was just starting out. And I was actually hired to teach drawing. And I had the extraordinary privilege of working at that incredible place with incredible storytellers, incredible human beings. And I would say that one of the things I feel most excited and proud of that I did while at Pixar was with a group of colleagues create something called Pixar in a Box, which is a free resource that lives on Khan Academy. And it's really a way to go behind the scenes at Pixar and see what people do, understand how the many jobs, the many career opportunities at a place like Pixar are actually connected to things that you learn in school and you learn in life. And it was such a privilege to be there. And I just thought, how do we make this available? How do we give a little piece of this to everybody? So we created Pixar in a Box. Um, we then were able to create Imagineering in a Box, another program. We had incredible support from Bob Iger, from Ed Catmull and Jim Morris and the team at Pixar and, and at Disney. So I'm forever thankful for their understanding of why this was so important for exactly what you were saying, Carrie. How do we tell stories of the world? How do we tell representative stories? So a few years ago, one of my colleagues and I from, from Pixar, Tony DeRose, decided that we wanted to really devote our time 100% to doing this. And we left and created our little company called X in a Box. Uh, we've worked with Adobe and Epic Games and Ava DuVernay and have been able to you know, continue creating content. And about a year ago, I would say, kind of mid-pandemic, we realized that not only do educators and students need 
these materials and to be able to go behind the scenes and to be start making things and creating things. But could we put it into a program that would make it simple to do, right? I mean, educators we know right now are always overworked, are always, we ask more of educators than we ask of almost any profession. During these last two years in the pandemic, I mean, we all know how extraordinarily complex it's been. So could we create a program that would almost be plug and play and that they could use with their their students themselves? And so that was kind of where Story Experiential was born. And um, we already had really great content from Pixar in a Box. And we went to Pixar and said, look, we'd love to do this. Are you are you in? And they were. And so we did a, our first pilot program in the fall. Really exciting. I'm just going to dive in, Ted, if that's okay. I'd love oh, to awesome. hear. I'd love to give um, Jorge and Mateo a chance to introduce themselves. And maybe, um, maybe Jorge, you go first and then Mateo and talk a little bit about um, how you connected with this program and, and, and what your involvement was. Sure, I'll go ahead. Uh, so my journey uh, to finding uh, Pixar in a Box and X in a Box and Story Experiential was so interesting because I have been teaching for about five years in some rough uh, schools, you know, and, and this is where I grew up. I grew up in the LA area and I had the opportunity through education and through art to work in some major studios. And I really wanted to come back and and reach out to youth that are from similar backgrounds. And, but some of these schools, uh, it was tough because we didn't have the resources that, uh, that I had in, in the studios. And I was always looking for anything that we could have access to. And access was so important for these students. And I would ask them too, like, what are you interested in? What can I teach you? And a lot of them were really interested in art and animation. And that was a way that I could really engage them into what we were learning. However, when I was looking for the resources and tools, Khan Academy just really, uh, the Pixar in the Box specifically, just kind of fell from the skies, from the heavens. And it was something that the students were able to connect with. You know, this is middle school, high school, college students. And because the stories are so uh, universal and timeless and so when I'm talking about them, everybody knows what I'm talking about. So I fell in love with the curriculum. So I was able to create a very successful multimedia program. And this was, uh, you know, uh, at the time I was teaching at a, at a school that where the students were really facing a lot of violence, uh, gang violence, uh, gentrification. And so this, this pathway, the CTE pathway that I was teaching really was providing them an opportunity to be engaged and an opportunity for them, it was an escape and it was a path to college. And, you know, I very successfully was able to get this pathway and the students, and they ended up graduating at a 96% rate and going on to four-year universities. Yes. So, you know, I, I always held Pixar in a box right here in my pocket as, as a really valuable tool in my class. So when I went over to the Antelope Valley to repeat this process with a brand new school, one of our coaches said, Hey, you know, Elise is nearby, you know, she's, she's, she's been yeah, dedicating some time talking to classes. And I just jumped at that opportunity because, um, that is that something really important that I found in my classes is that when you have professionals talking to the students, that really just connects something with them when they hear it from, from a professional, 
So I, I jumped to the opportunity. She came into the class and the students were so amazed and they were so happy to hear from her, you know, so that's when, that's where I met Elise. And then, uh, you know, she told me about uh, Story Experiential and I just had to jump at the opportunity. Great. Thank you. And, and Mateo, what about you? Yeah. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Mateo Alden. I'm currently a senior at California High School, which is located in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and I was a student in the first cohort of Pixar Story Experiential. It was an amazing experience, um, especially for me. I've wanted to be an animator or at least a part of the many sort of facets of the animation industry ever since I was in second grade. And as a senior, I was sort of on my path to discovering the next steps after high school. So of course, when this opportunity kind of fell into my lap, a friend of mine just kind of told me about it on a random whim. I really jumped at the opportunity and I've tried to develop my skills on my own, whether that just be on YouTube, the courses available at my school, and even some Skillshare courses that I took. But what attracted me, especially to this program, was the promise of this feedback and interaction with um, real Pixar professionals, which as someone who's under the age of 18 and not currently enrolled in college, it's really hard to come by, especially kind of getting your foot in the industry or even learning more about the industry is really restricted to undergrads and I guess more experienced people. So it was a rare opportunity for me and I took it. I've had a really fun time and I made a project that helped me in a lot of ways. And after the program, I was onboarded to become a student advisor. So I hope to make, continue the legacy, I guess, of Story Experiential um, as a part of the team and to kind of provide my insight as a person who has already been through the program. Awesome. So Elise and, and Jorge and Mateo, could you bring it to life? What exactly did you guys do last fall? And for audience members, there's going to be another one this spring. So when you see what this is all about, I think you're going to be really excited to consider bringing this to your school and students this spring. Elise, bring it to life. What is this all about? Sure. Okay. So I'll kind of talk you through the cadence of the program. I mean, the idea is that in, in nine weeks, every week we have at the beginning of the week, a live session with a different Pixar story artist or, or filmmaker. And each week, students have a deliverable that they are creating for that week that add up over the nine weeks into a final story reel. And so this opportunity on the Mondays with different artists to hear from them, get their perspective on how did they get to Pixar? What was their path? What is it that you have to do that week? You know, what is your assignment, your deliverable for the week? And then just ask questions, right? And ask them any kind of a question. So uh, on the Monday, you have the live session. And then Tuesday through Sunday, really, you work independently right? You can work in a classroom, you can work in an after school, you can work completely independently. And each week we have a different kind of a different area that we focus on. So we start with what's the concept. Second week, you start thinking about your character, you start thinking about the world and the art, the outline for your story, act one, act two, act three, right? Just really the way Pixar professionals think as well. And so by the end of the program, 
what we had is literally hundreds of final story reels from all of the different teams that worked on it. We encourage teams to work together. So you might have a classroom of 20 kids and then have five teams. And the reason we encourage teams is filmmaking is a collaborative process. You are rarely working on your own. And we all bring different skills. We all bring different um, abilities. And we all need feedback from not only our own team, but then from, from others. And so... Basically, if you're a teacher or a student, you have a dashboard that's open to you once you're in the program. If you go to the week, it lays out exercises, videos, inspiration. And then at the end of the week, you upload your work into a gallery. And that's where you get feedback every week from other students. So it's peer-to-peer feedback. And it happens each week so that you can iterate on what you're doing. The live stream happens on the Monday and it gets posted immediately by the next morning. So you have it as reference. We create a highlight. And then we've got a series of exercises and resources that basically take you to the place where you're ready to upload your assignment for the week. I think I'm going to stop there and kind of hand it over to Jorge and Mateo so they can talk a little bit more about what what it felt like in, in action. Sure. I do. I do get excited when I think about this curriculum. I feel like it is all about the interactions that the students get to have uh, with each other, with other teams, and with these professionals and these mentors. So this is experience that made a huge impact in my class. Little by little, uh, you know, this curriculum sort of took over my class. It's just such an important part of my class now. And not just, it's not just something that that was teaching my students. It helped me as an educator, like going through it. And I was able to pick up a lot of uh, uh, strategies and a lot of a lot of the things that I was listening to, um, I, I could regurgitate to my students. And so this is that experience that that helped them, but it helped me too as an educator. The students do get to work in teams of uh, up to four. So you'll see a lot of different personalities working together. And as an educator, you get to see them break out of their shell. It's not until they get to share it with others and share their ideas and, and get and provide feedback that suddenly their, their mindset starts to change. And then, oh my gosh, hearing the feedback from uh, the professionals, because when I tell them like, oh my gosh, this is so good. And, and, you know, they'll be like, oh, oh, that's fine. You know, <laughs> just my teacher. But, you know, when they're hearing these from like Pixar professionals and then it, it really blows their mind, you know. And and by the way, uh, and I, I'm going to yeah, give this now to Mateo because what a great film. And I, I showed it to my students and they were so inspired. So, so excellent work, Mateo. Uh, thanks, man. That means so much. Okay. So I guess I can kind of talk about my experience as a student. I just remember it was so much fun like that was really the highlight of kind of my isolation at that point i've been going to remote school um which is hard on everyone as everyone probably in this webinar knows and experiences firsthand and i also dealt with a family death some other family tragedies so it was really an escape for me to kind of um escape the situation at hand and really transform that energy into something more productive and kind of therapeutic in a way. 
I remember the first three or so weeks, we were kind of given the freedom to experiment and brainstorm other ideas. It was so fun to just kind of push the limits of what I thought I was capable of. I was impressed with not only my own ideas, but also the ideas that I saw in the weekly galleries every day. And it was pretty evident pretty quickly that a lot of students like myself kind of grew attached to their ideas, which in a way was an asset because it ultimately made the work behind it, um, learning these story concepts, you know, trying to revise your work and take feedback. It kind of made that seem like second nature. But I think that's the beauty of the program. I think that learning is really its best when you don't even realize it's happening. It just comes really naturally. So that was one of the first things I noticed about the program and kind of something that clicked in my mind and immediately made me think that this is a worthwhile thing to be participating in. I had three initial ideas, which I narrowed down to two, but I actually wasn't a part of a group. I was doing this solo. So I had a really hard time parting with one or the other and really committing. But that's really where the feedback system came in, both from like Pixar um, storytellers and from the other groups themselves. And listening to what they had to say and their two cents into my two stories really gave me the security that I could commit to a story and feel proud of it. And I think that's really the beauty of the program is exchanging ideas between groups and also between professionals, which kind of validates you in a way. And then as I kept going through the program and as I was writing acts and plotting major and minor beats and kind of got into the intricacies of what makes an effective story, I really found that Story Experiential did a great job of not only giving you the foundational skills and allowing you to develop them, but giving you the freedom to expand past them and kind of develop your ideas based on how ambitious you are. I remember there was a suggestion that said you could try to remove all narration and dialogue from your story if you wanted an extra challenge. Um, so myself and a few other groups tried to do that and we added music and sound effects. And I think it really added to the atmosphere, especially seeing people go above and beyond, which ultimately made you want to go above and beyond. The whole environment of the program was super supportive and you can tell that the groups cared about their stories as much as they cared about other people's stories, which was ultimately like one of the most beneficial things of the program. I just want to say how rewarding that part of it was for us. I mean, we always knew that this program needed to be powered by peer and community feedback. And we had these, we created these galleries so that each week the work would be submit there. But what we didn't realize was how unbelievably powerful those galleries were as teachers because what you saw each week in other people's work just like Matteo was saying kind of propelled you forward like oh that's an incredible idea or oh how they did it that way whether it was something technical or whether it was something related to sound or to the art or just to the storytelling itself and the other thing I would just want to say is a lot of times people think a program like this is just for artists or just for animators or just for filmmakers. But something that I saw in the chat and, and that I think we've touched on is that, you know, storytelling is at the heart of everything 
in our humanity. And it's also at the heart of business. It's the heart of everything that we do. And so becoming a storyteller, you don't have to make exquisite art. We saw stories that had very simple art, but the heart of the story. And, and one of the things that we heard from educators was the timing. I mean, things have been so hard for the last couple of years. And you know what? Life is hard sometimes. And to have this kind of social and emotional outlet and a community doing the same thing, it kind of was critical in no matter what kind of a classroom you had, whether it was a science classroom or an art classroom or a history classroom. So I just, I just wanted to bring those couple of things to the forefront. You know, another thing that was so meaningful to all of us was these stories were told from the heart, like incredible, deep, meaningful, and, and real stories. just wanted to just reflect a little on some some of the stuff I heard and I'm really glad you said you know that thing about you don't have to be a, a professional artist or you know I think Matteo you said you wanted to be an animator since I don't know if it was two years old or second grade but it was a very long time <laughs> right um, and obviously you know Jorge your class is specifically for animation but I just you know in my experience I feel that the the skills of communication not just from within you outward, but but you know how you how people receive stories. You can really listen to when you hear the feedback, and listening and collaboration and confidence of being able to put yourself out there, um, and problem solving because often you know you think you have it and then you don't. I feel like these skills that come through storytelling um, and the and the creative process, whether it's you know in an animated context like this. Um, are just incredibly translatable and they bring things to life. So I just, I wanted to just really plus that and, and hopefully hopefully the program attracts people that aren't necessarily, you know, lifelong destined to be professionals in this particular field, but understanding how much this can translate uh, elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, if, if I could jump in there now, because I had students who were failing, failing their classes, but suddenly they found an interest in voiceover work, voice acting, because I had some really strong personalities. Oh my gosh, they jumped at this opportunity. They just couldn't wait to record themselves and to hear themselves. And suddenly they found themselves more engaged in school and they were improving their grades in other classes as well. Uh, I think that's so important. I can see Mateo nodding to that as well. And I think, you know, just to just to follow up on that, because I wasn't clear, this is something maybe maybe other people understand. I just want to make sure it's clear to everybody who's listening. You you came into it, Jorge, with a class full of people, right? And yet, Mateo, you said you weren't part of a group. What's the how does how do people engage with the program if they come in as an individual? Do they come in through their classroom? How does it interface with the rest of the academic day if it's if it's done in that kind? I'm just curious a little bit about that structural for any of you. Yeah, I think I can touch on that a little. For me, I went in without a teacher facilitator per se. Um, so I was a single man group and there were some pluses and minuses to it, but I really wish I could have 
gotten a group of friends together. I think going through the program, I really did learn that art isn't necessarily at the forefront of storytelling at all. It's really having those authentic experiences. So this coming spring term, I hope that more people are encouraged to go in as groups. I would love to. But in terms of fitting it into my schedule, how the logistics of that kind of worked, I would say the program gave around three to four hours of work a week. But honestly, considering the dedication and passion a lot of students had, I don't think it really felt tedious at all compared to other schoolwork per se. I was also part of a program in my school that gave professional development time during class time to kind of have an internship, develop your skills in a field that you're interested in, and also pursue a mentorship. So in addition to some of the work I was doing outside of Store Experiential, I really found Store Experiential beneficial to professional development, even outside of art, like the interpersonality, just communicating with other groups, learning how to give and receive feedback. Um, All that etiquette is something that can't really be taught in a classroom. So I really valued that. I think that's all I can really say for now, but if I have any other thoughts, I'll make sure to bring them up. Excellent. So I'm curious, you know, the the lecture-based online courses are notorious for massive drop-off rates. And at least when you shared with me completion rates on this, my jaw is still going down from that. Maybe you could talk a little bit about completion rates, but also I think people are quite interested in across the whole set of students and teams that participated in this during the pilot, kind of how did they do it? What grade levels, what subject levels, teachers actively involved or not? Could you just sort of bring that to life for us? Yeah, we designed this program for maximum flexibility. And, and the reason, I mean, our goal in bringing storytelling and this kind of creative project-based learning was to, to bring it at scale because our kind of vision and goal as a company is, is to have impact and to bring this to the students, the participants who don't normally have access. And it's wonderful when you can do that in a classroom in your community, that's fantastic. But is that going to have the impact at the level that we want to have? So that made us think about flexibility. How could this be used in a classroom? How could this be used in an after school? How could it be used homeschool? How could it be used by individuals? And so what did we need to provide? We feel pretty clear that students are going to, they're going to exceed our expectations all the time. They don't need to be told what to do and how to do it step by step. They need to be inspired. They need to be given some scaffolding and then they need to be set free. And then with feedback and and a community, that just empowers you to continue. And so that's what we tried to do. We tried to scaffold with the minimal exercises, inspiration, the Pixar professionals who, you know, give of their hearts and their expertise and, and then just set everyone free. So we really had a mixture. I would say that probably about two-thirds to three-quarters of the participants were from classrooms. And sometimes those teachers were very involved, and sometimes they were not that involved at all. Um, They were there to support. And I I saw a question in the chat before that asked, you know, how could you do this if you're a teacher who doesn't have an art or animation background? 
we exactly designed it so that you don't have to, right? This, what you need in terms of the content and the inspiration is there. And as an educator, you're there to support your students from all of the talents and expertise that you have. It does not need to be art or film or animation. So I've, I have a quick follow-up, but share with the group the statistic for completion rates. Right. And then I'd like, like Jorge maybe to talk a little bit about with your student teams, did you feel you had to push them to stay on this or did they were they pulling you? But let's start with your whopping number for completion rate. So we were, you know, online education has very low completion rates in general, 15, 20% is a massive number if you get that. So we were shooting for 50%, like, okay, let's get 50% completion rate. And I would say that at about week six or seven, we thought, wow, we've got like 60 to 70% completion rate. That's, you know, from the submissions that we were seeing weekly, that's looking incredible. And we ended up with about a 92% completion rate. And in those last couple of weeks, students who we hadn't seen submitting in the galleries for weeks, all of a sudden came out and they had been catching up, they had been working. And again, that's a piece of the flexibility of the program. We build it so that you don't fall behind and that there is time to catch up. And so nothing could have made us happier than that. That's an incredible statistic. And I, I do think it's related not just to the flexibility of the program, but I heard Matteo say something about the freedom to experiment, the, the sort of, the, I think you used the word open-endedness at one point. I, I think this feeling of creating some space within a program for people to, to find their voice and actually make a mistake and correct it, I think it's a really beautiful um, design. So just want to congratulate you on that. And Hora, your experience with your students? Yes, so I was actually teaching uh, my middle school students for this. So, uh, you know, it was my uh, eighth graders and oh my gosh, like, especially, you know, this past couple of years has been really difficult to keep them engaged, but I'm always looking and this really, really worked. And so I would say the only people that didn't complete were the ones that left the district. So I had a few because this is happening all the time, like every week, you know, it's almost like a revolving door because there's so much going on. But everybody that was there was so excited. In fact, I even had a student who left uh, because they were self-isolating. Finally, they came back and the first thing was like, Mr. Flores, you know, have you been doing this? Have you been doing that? I'm like, yes, yes, Anila Ray, we've been doing it, we've been doing it. She, so she was so proud of her team, but you know, she couldn't wait to get back just because she was trying to continue this. So yes, the flexibility was super helpful, especially in middle school. You know, I, I, I will never underestimate the talent of my students again, and I will never underestimate their ability to procrastinate sometimes. So being a teacher, I was able to sort of keep them on deadlines, but that was a huge learning experience for them. And just the fact that they were able to complete the program really helped me understand that this was a really useful tool. So I would say, I would say like 95, 96% of the students finished because the only ones that didn't left our school. <laughs> That's extraordinary. We have a question in the chat, I think, about any advice that, that you would give to educators who would like to try this but don't themselves have an art or animation background. And we've already talked, I think, about how this can apply to many different kinds of courses, I think, or, or subject areas. Um, but I'm curious, any of you, for a thought on that? 
I'm happy to jump in. I mean, I, I again, I think, you know, you don't have to have any kind of an art or animation background to to be a teacher, a facilitator, an educator, a parent who helps um, someone go through it. It's the information you need is there. It, you're a you're a human being who <laughs> listens to stories and will feel something, will have advice, will have thoughts. If you can create an environment that supports that creative exploration, um, that's really all you need to do. And I actually see another question in the chat that I'd love to answer. Um, the question's about um, how to integrate a social, if we've thought about integrating a social justice angle to the program. Yeah. <laughs> Such an important question. And, you know, we thought a lot before it started, do we want to have any prompts for what kind of storytelling? And we decided not to. We decided to see what happened. That social justice was there. This is what is on the minds of all of us um, and participants. And so we saw stories about every aspect of social justice that you could imagine. Um, and they came out in the most authentic and natural way. And so, you know, there's no reason that a, a classroom or an after-school program couldn't have a prompt that they wanted. So let's say it is a history class, right? And you want to have a prompt about social justice in a certain period. There's no reason not to do that. Um, it can be used in any way. And, you know, looking at the work, you know, looking at the work, and I know it's not only about the outcomes, obviously, it's primarily about the process and the access and all the stuff we've talked about. But, you know, as people do tackle social justice themes within the communities in which they live and work, you can imagine organizations working on those issues who might benefit from um, incredible short content to be able to tell their stories. And, I, I, you know, I just it just feels that there's this spirit of um, connectedness that can come from from that sort of engagement that that, you know, may not be a direct goal of the program, but could certainly be an outgrowth of it. You said, do we have a question for Mateo? I, I saw that there is one in the chat asking uh, Mateo if he feels like the program helped support him with gaining executive function skills that were not necessarily happening in, in the classroom or, or on top of what was happening in the classroom. Yes, absolutely. I think one of the main things that I took away from the program I remember after the program ended, I emailed the program and I was just like, thank you so much. The biggest thing that I learned was really the art of giving and taking feedback and kind of taking a step back and knowing that the feedback is here um, in your best interest, which is a really hard thing to do, especially in a field so intimate like story where you can get so attached. So I think that was one of the most monumental things that really came out of the program for me personally. Um, in other ways, I think it really helped me get on top of time management. I remember there was a time when I was falling behind and I really felt kind of pressure put on myself just to finish this, finish the story, not only for myself, but 
for the people who have been following the story itself and the people who have been giving me feedback every week and faces and names and I guess usernames that I recognized week after week and the people that I saw in live streams every day. So in a sense, that community really motivated me to kind of stay on top of my duties, execute what I needed to execute, but ultimately um, just shape me into a more, I guess, fully developed, well-rounded person, aside from just art and animation. I'd add a comment here about the question about social and racial justice is really on target. And I'm not surprised that that was an issue that was front and center for a lot of the student teams. But we do have educators in parts of the country that there's some pretty wacky things going on in the United States today with, the, you know, like hotlines to tell the governor if a teacher's doing something. I think it's really powerful to let students tell that story. You know, maybe some of these states will pass legislation that say students can't, can't touch on these topics. But I love the fact it's student-driven. I love the fact, I think it was a brilliant choice not to have a prompt. What were some of the stories that surprised you? What were some of the outliers that we might not have expected a student to take on? Good question. There were a number of stories about loss and about really painful loss as you can imagine, in this last couple of years, there were a lot of stories about bullying and about coming into one's own and finding community that would allow you to be yourself. You know, I think what surprised me most of all was just the, the numbers of stories that were so serious. I, I thought we were gonna have a lot of silliness um, and there was some, there's fun and funny, but it was, again, really kind of went to the heart of where where people are right now. Jorge, yeah. did you find the same thing with your cohort? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I think in terms of uh, the social justice and equity, also, you know, as a teacher, I'm not just facilitating like, hey, you guys go through the program, but I'm also kind of incorporating it into, into my curriculum. So it really helped me paired with the stuff that we were learning about. And we were really talking about equity and how important it is to have representation. So when we had the guest speakers talk about their experiences, suddenly the, the students were connecting the dots. You know, if they had a, a, a guest speaker who like, hey, you know, like she's Latina too. And like, I'm Latina, like I could do this. And I was like, yeah, girl, that's what I've been trying to tell you, you know? <laughs> so, you know, they were connecting the dots. And when they were hearing the stories of these guest speakers, they were starting to see that they could do it too. Not only that, but like why it was important for them to, to make an effort. And, and you know, the, the guest speakers would, would share why they want to reach out to younger kids and to, and to inspire them. So in that sense, I felt like it really was doing that work. But also as an educator, it was my job to connect it to, to my, my, my own curriculum. The stories that the students were, were, were telling, they were so amazing. And, and I mean, I thought I was gonna get a lot of goofy stuff, but like, you know, I had a, a student write a really beautiful story about, about a character who was coming out of the closet. And uh, as a middle schooler, this is kind of a difficult subject to discuss, like in a very serious manner. So I was proud of my student because they were writing such a compelling uh, story but also I was a little worried because I didn't know how the other students were gonna, if they were gonna be respectful to the level that I wanted them to be. But I think the program did such a great job sort of setting up like a respectful format so that people can do the respectful feedbacks that at that point, the culture had been established 
and the classmates gave really positive and really constructive uh, feedback. So. I just want to stop on that too. You know, I, for many years at Sundance, where I used to work, we have something called the Sundance Labs, and it's a place where professional artists come much further down the pathway in their careers. But setting the table for constructive feedback, for safe feedback, is something that, you know, you really have to work at every day in environments like that. And I think the fact that, at least you and your team were able to set that set that in place and and have that continue through the through the through the program, that's just gold because because that is about listening. It is about recognizing that people are sharing something of themselves. and and I think, Mateo, I'm curious, you know, one thing we always heard and learned from the filmmakers and other artists at Sundance is it's great to get feedback. But part of the exercise of being an artist or being a storyteller, is knowing what feedback resonates for you, not operating from a place of fear, but but operating from a place of openness and maybe saying, oh, that's an interesting idea, but that's not that's not for me. H- how did you contend with that? Or did you contend with that? I definitely do think that I kind of had an internal sort of conflict of whether or not to accept this piece of criticism or constructive criticism, I should say, and if it would ultimately benefit my film in the long run. I think what really allowed me to sort through what was valuable and what was uh, not necessarily applicable was just how tied I was to the story itself. And I think a lot of students really had their hearts attached to their stories. I remember there's another film that also won an award that was called Yearbook Memories that was super well done. And I remember always commenting on um, their piece. And sometimes I would give them a piece of criticism and they would take it. And then another time they would choose not to. And then as the final product, I realized how that fit into the final puzzle piece of the story. So it goes both ways. And I think it's so valuable to have your own perspective, but also be able to build off of others. And that's another just building on top of everything I've learned from this program. Just another amazing thing that I really came out of the program with. And Eliza, am I right that the platform actually facilitates that kind of peer-to-peer communication, not just within the, the team, but across the teams, correct? Correct. Yeah. Um, and, and I just, I'll, building on top of what both Carrie and Mateo said, I, I'm so thankful for my years at Pixar because that culture of um, incredible feedback was there from the second I got there. And, you know, telling stories is really hard. It takes, what, five years to make a Pixar film. And I would say that three and a half or four, if not the whole five is in figuring out the story and the ability for filmmakers to, you know, put their hearts and souls in these stories up there to get feedback constantly. And then to figure out, just like you were saying, Mateo, like which are the pieces that actually apply to to me? But yes, again, that heart of the program being feedback every Every week when a student submits their work, at the top of the submission page, there are six random stories that you are asked to give feedback on. And on the feedback page, we seed it with some questions and some ideas. And those those six at the top are rotated basically from um, the ones that have the least feedback so that we're trying to spread feedback as evenly as we possibly can. It's really, really smart. I also think it's a it's a sort of an upending in some ways, in a great way, 
of the typical hierarchy of like a single person with all the knowledge and learners. You know, here you have a whole community of co-learning and co-feedback loops. And I think I think that's much more like the workplace. It's much more like real life. It's much more, you know, it's much more complex in, in terms of what you have to navigate, but in, infinitely more freeing. So I just wanted to recognize that. Of, not that there's anything wrong with authority in a classroom, you know, at some points, but I think this opens up other kinds of possibilities. Yeah, that's a super good point. And, and one of the things we also thought about before was, uh, do we need to moderate this feedback? And, and we do, we moderate every piece of feedback and we moderate all the submissions. But the truth is the community and the culture of feedback regulated itself. And I'll tell you one story. There was one story that was quite, quite violent. And we recognize that this is a story that's probably very much a part of this creator's life. And so we didn't want to, we didn't want to say, oh, we don't want it to be so violent. We sort of thought about it. And then what we saw happen is this creator was given feedback and the feedback was really poignant. It was about how important the storytelling was, but could it be even more powerful with less violence? And so it took care of itself. And, and that's the magic, again, of community and a culture of, of really trying to support each other. It's beautiful. One of the points that strikes me about this is students love it. Students with great support are getting good at something important. Many of the stories, and I looked at a bunch of them, and Mateo's is brilliant, um, but there are others. I mean, this is not one that was brilliant and a bunch of others that were way behind. I mean, you had some amazing expressions and creations, but each of them in, in a way sort of inform and uplift the community around them. But the final point, this is one of the things I'm really interested in, is these students are getting good at something that is a very marketable skill. And, and I don't want that to get lost in the shuffle here because education is about a whole set of things, but it's really powerful if a student gets good at something they love, develops it in the context of things that mean so much to them personally, but then they suddenly, whoa, I'm good at something that the world values. Because those jobs for kids and many, 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 and I want to really underscore this, many, many, many of the kids participating in this are not in circumstances where the parent can call a friend and say, hire my kid as an intern. And so let's just show this explosion of creativity. And, and I just have to say, I mean, I've done a lot of these now, and I'm like, this is the first game changer conversation I've hosted where I have goosebumps at the end. <laughs> so, so I want to thank everybody. I'll, I'll start with Mateo. I am just in awe of what you create. I mean, the level of accomplishment with what you did is just stunning. And I think it gives everybody, it lifts everybody up to see what you were able to create. What a, your passion, your dedication. I mean, it's just contagious. Like, oh my, can we clone you and get 100,000 of you all across the country? But thank you for your dedication. And Elise, you have nailed it with it. This is really a remarkably great program. Carrie, thank you. You just added so much to this conversation. And this is a woman who's had a remarkable career, but has seen her share of great storytellers and has catalyzed and accelerated and amplified their careers. And so when I, I said, you ought to take a look at this. What do you think? And she's like, wow, this is so great. I'll be on your game changers. <laughs> like, could not have been better. I'm so humbled by everything every single one of you has said and shared. To share this screen with each one of you 
is a highlight, a highlight of my life. So thank you. Thank you all. This is wonderful. And thanks, Ted, for putting this all together. Thank oh, you. Oh, no, it's great. And thanks to Mateo Jorge. You guys are, it just made, the, it was so great to hear from you guys tonight. So thanks to everybody. Great questions. Spread the word. Get your teams involved. This is a total life changer for so many kids. Thanks, everybody. We want to hear your stories. We want yes. to hear everyone's story. And everyone has one. Our editor, creative consultant, and sound engineer is the talented Evan Kurohara. Our theme music is created by a remarkable pianist, Michael Sloan. Producer of 12 albums with over 100 songs, Michael Sloan is featured in Apple Music, Spotify, and all major music platforms. You can also find his work at his YouTube channel. Michael has listeners in over 100 countries and 2,000 cities. We'd be grateful if you would support these episodes with leading-edge, innovative, and imaginative educators and students by giving us your own rating and writing a review wherever you get your podcasts. This series is sponsored by education change agent Ted Dintersmith, executive producer of the award-winning documentary film Most Likely to Succeed and author of the best-selling book What School Could Be. Please join the What School Could Be global online community by going to community.whatschoolcouldbe.org or by downloading the What School Could Be app from your favorite app store. The What School Could Be podcast is brought to you by Josh Rapoon Productions. Send your feedback to josh at whatschoolcouldbe.org and follow the show on Twitter at WSCB Podcast. Finally, listeners, One of the most important things we can do is to bring kindness and compassion into the world. For sure, we need a surplus of both right now. Thank you so much for listening.